Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, I'm Cathy Sheridan. On today's episode, we're pressing pause on all the festive madness. So stop what you're doing, down the tools, take a deep breath and join us today in learning how to have a calm Christmas. To help us unleash our inner festive zen, Roisin spoke to psychotherapist and mindfulness teacher, Porika Moran. And do you see how I've lowered my voice already? From calming breath techniques to preparing yourself for tense family gatherings, Porik has lots of tips on how to have a chilled out Christmas. Porik O'Moran, you're a man on the women's podcast. We don't have yes. them very often. We only have special men on the women's podcast. Well, that's good. I'm glad to be special. Always knew I was special. <laughs> um, that's good. I love that self-confidence. You know, it's, it's really <laughs> important. Um, so basically, uh, and I'm only joking here, but you're going to mansplain to us how to have a calm Christmas. Absolutely. And I'm just throwing that out there. I don't really mean that. You've such expertise in this area and you've written so many great articles that I think are helpful to men and women about how uh, this whole Christmas, in some ways, nightmare um shouldn't or doesn't have to come down on us like a ton of bricks because I think for me anyway just the expectation that we put on it and especially when you have children but even if you don't have children it's like I need to create this day or this this week where everything is magical and perfect and it's just not possible a lot of the time so you ask a very good question you ask ask yourself what you don't want for Christmas as opposed to what you want for Christmas because we're used to that what you want for Christmas what you want for Christmas but your thing is what do you not want for Christmas tell us about that I suppose it's a question of you know I don't want to be in the shops at nine o'clock on Christmas Eve desperately looking for a present now for all I know this is being listened to by somebody at nine o'clock on Christmas Eve And if so, we'll keep listening, just relax, you know. And But, you know, if it's... Um, I don't want to have to go to three houses this Christmas Day and eat three meals. Uh, so you make a plan not to because actually you can... Uh, you don't have to do all the things that you don't want to do. Um, I don't want to get a two-day hangover at the office Christmas party. Um, so again, you would definitely need to make a plan about that. So I think it's all just about what what do I not want? Um, and Or I don't want to spend, um, you know, 2,000 euros in presents this Christmas. Well, you know, with a little bit of courage, you can just, you know, if you're in the bracket of where people spend that kind of money, which I've never been, but if you're in that bracket, you can make a plan. So knowing what you don't want is kind of important in life. Well, I think a lot of people will be listening to this very close to Christmas. So we might be a bit late to help them with all of that. But certainly in terms of Christmas Day itself and the whole getting together and families, which can be very fraught because often you're thrown together for long periods of time 
with people that you might tend to avoid or people that where the chemistry doesn't quite work. And that can be the cause of a lot of angst. Yeah, Christmas puts a whole lot of people... It's like putting them into a pressure cooker, you know, and turn it on and see what happens. You know, and what happens sometimes is an explosion. Um, so I think that one thing that you can do there is to work out um, what are the things that really press my buttons. You know, if I'm, if in the group I'm going to be in, there tend to be tensions. What is it that presses presses my buttons? What what remark is it that somebody always makes? Um, and then you decide this time. They might press my buttons, but I am not going to respond. If you've decided that in advance, it works. If you don't decide it in advance, you're going to press your buttons and you're going to have a miserable time. Um, so I think that's just one thing. Just to You can't always avoid being in these situations. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But if you can't, you can at least anticipate that and decide that you're not going there, so to speak, in terms of giving people the reaction that they want. And in very bad situations, sometimes you might just decide you're just going to sort of walk out, you know. Uh, but you will just work out your your strategy and your tactics in advance. Um, I think in England at this Christmas is going to be a lot of very het up conversations, but around Brexit yeah. and stuff. There's always hot button issues, and I think maybe a couple of Christmases ago it might have been the abortion referendum for for some yeah. families, um, and there might be other ones uh, this year. So there's that kind of thing of don't talk about politics or religion does come into it too, doesn't it? Yeah. Try and avoid the subjects that you know. Yeah, hard hard as it is. I would imagine that sort of a, an English family of Remainers with a Brexiteer uncle or something uh, would, I don't know why I'm imagining that the uncle would be the Brexiteer, well, but anyway, you know. <laughs> uh, things could get a bit fraught. fraught. Um, here, I suppose, what would the arguments be about climate change, I suppose, if the wider world came in? Because that is the hot, hot in every sense of the word issue now. Um, and, you know, should you be having a turkey and should should you be doing this or that? Oh, God, if you've um, got a really uber recycler and a person who's really eco-friendly oh, yeah, vegan, yeah, and then yeah, you could yeah, be, yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, I had a vegan Christmas dinner last year uh, in Canada, so um, I've, I've sort of been on both sides of the aisle, and this year it will be it will be a traditional dinner. And um, But... You know, there is there is rich ground there, all right, for people to, to fall out. Really, they shouldn't, but that doesn't mean that they won't. Uh, because if you're already stressed going into it, it's a lot easier to get you going, you know, mm. once you're there. Um, so going into Christmas Day with a sense of some degree of calm is really, really helpful, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you ask questions like... When you find yourself getting a bit stressed or the potatoes aren't quite the way you thought they would be, yeah. which I think is, for me, it's a big thing. I remember I made mashed potato one year and it just wasn't good. And I just was very, dis very upset with myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I know it's a silly thing, but um, I remember my mum getting like that too. You know, you want every little thing to be perfect. But you say, ask, does it matter? And then ask after that, really? And, you know, then you'd be surprised at the answer sometimes. I mean... Do yeah. the lumpy mashed potatoes really matter in the scheme of things? That's the thing. I think it's important to ask the, to ask the question, not just at Christmas, quite often throughout the year, because we do get wound up about things. And so, it's sort of we get wound up about them because we get wound up about them. So it's the same with Christmas stress. It's just asking that, does it really matter? Uh, can help to just, it's just a, uh, a quick and easy way to distinguish between what's worth getting stressed over and what isn't.
basically. And going back to tricky individuals in your family, you have a good um, point that you make because we sometimes uh, put people in pigeonholes or boxes and we say, oh, that person's very negative. I don't really want to get stuck in a chat with them or, oh, well, great, I'll hang around with that person because they're very positive. But like you say that there's not really, you can't say somebody's negative all the time. There's always good aspects of a person to kind of mine if you go looking for it, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, nobody's, I don't, I think it is an unusual thing for anybody to be negative all the time or positive all the time. I suppose when we say negative or positive, we often mean, well, that my experience of being with them is negative or positive. Um, and sometimes there is, if you can just sort of relax, there is, um, there are aspects that you can, as you say, mine. Um, sometimes there aren't. And sometimes it's just something that you do. It's a gracious sort of thing to do, you know, to sort of go along with the person who's being a bit negative and sometimes the person who's negative has had their own life experiences that made them that way. So you're the sort of thing that's sometimes said that, oh, you know, you, 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 mustn't, you must only surround yourself with positive people. Never have any negative people in your life. I think for a lot of people that would mean cutting maybe an awful lot of people out of your life. Um, you know, you can't get this thing, oh, everybody around me must be positive. How in God's name can anybody live like that? Um, so sometimes you just give that you just you just sort of have to be there and present for them. The uh, other reason Christmas is difficult is because of people who have uh, relationships that have broken down and they have children yeah, yeah. going from here to there or yeah. sometimes in some cases not seeing uh, perhaps their father or in some cases yeah. their mother. Have you any uh, thoughts on that and how those very, very difficult situations, uh, the, the difficulty can be kind of minimised to some degree because they're very fraught. But first of all, I think that the more that can be planned in advance, the better. Now, as people are listening to this, they're pretty much on top, on of, top of Christmas, the Christmas at yeah. this point. But even if in advance just means a day, at least that's something. And I think that if it's impossible to see children, let's say, before or even on Christmas Day, is it possible to see them for an hour or two? Uh, if not, is it possible to see them the next day? Um are there grandparents maybe that they could go to and that you could see them there? Just to try to find ways of doing this that do not involve um, the children getting caught in a conflict, in a tug of war, which is kind of very unpleasant for them. Even, even say, with older, older kids, you know, if they're, if they're um, say, young teenagers, to maybe just find out what do they want. If they don't want to have to go from one parent to another parent on Christmas Day, but they're happy to see the other, the absent, let's call it parent, the following day, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Mm. Um, and that things can change. I suppose what happens at Christmas as well, um, we get stuck a lot in the same thing happened all these years, so the same thing has to happen again. I don't know if you were like yeah. that as a kid. I mean, I definitely yeah. was. And even now I find myself stuck to things and I have to kind of go, why does it have to be the same? There's yeah. this sort of ingrained yeah. idea. Um, yes, I mean, uh, of course, we, we just replay we replay the programs. I mean, or once, once a thing becomes the natural thing to do, the brain just replays it. And of course, that can mean also that at Christmas, people replay all the old family patterns. Um, it just switches on. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it, but there it is. That's the way we are. And that's why a bit of awareness is really very important and very, very helpful. And awareness that, no, things don't have to be have to be the same. I mean, we live in an impermanent world in which nothing in reality ever really is the same, even if we think it is, it isn't. And to just accept that, it doesn't have to be the same, it can be completely different. 
um, and nobody has to get into a state over it. That said, there will be people who will get into a state over it, and then you have to decide, do I go along with them for the day or do I uh, make a stand? That depends on situations very much. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Going back to relationships again, because whatever about uh, situations where the relationship is broken down and one partner has left the house, what about where relationships are are difficult in terms of they're not going so well and you're having to go through Christmas, but actually you're not really liking your partner very much or perhaps there's more serious issues going on. We want to shield children from those things, but at the same time, the children are living in the real world and they pick up on Mm. so much. Have you any advice for people who are in that situation? I said, the only thing that I can suggest is that for, let us say, uh, the Christmas Day party, you just try to put the the conflict to one side just for that day. And also, of course, I mean, complaining about the other partner out loud to the children is not a good thing because you're complaining about one of the children's parents. Uh, so, and that's just a rule for always, uh, not just for not just for Christmas. And just, just accept, okay, I don't like this person. Um and they really annoy me, and they're this and they're that, but just for this day, I'm just gonna, we're just going to get through it. And it might be a good idea, if possible, this might be too much, if possible for the two people even to agree that they'll do it that way. Now, actually, if people are disagreeing all the time, it's hard for them to agree even to that. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly a little truce in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think they're the walking on eggshells thing. Um, uh, you don't want to spend Christmas Day walking on eggshells, but uh, you could have a kind of a civilised agreement that we will get through today and we'll make it as good as we can, you know. Porrick, what was your worst Christmas you've ever had or do you have one like that? Remember one Christmas I used to, um, it's a long time ago on Christmas Eve, um, we went over to the Midnight Mass and then we used to, to visit a couple of uncles and one of my uncles, he was fond of um, a whiskey and a drop of stout and I was as, as well at the time. And I remember he poured a half pint of... of uh, scotch into a glass for me of course I drank that up and I had stout then we went down to the pub Um, I remember all the next day which is Christmas Day I remember the hangover never lifting and at that time I was also a smoker and usually if you're a smoker like at least a cigarette kind of relieves the tension and it didn't work I always remember that that I felt the whole day was lost just as this really heavy hangover on me and um, nothing, nothing lifted it <laughs> until the next day. That was pretty bad, actually, because I just felt, you know, it's once a year and I've kind of missed out on it. But I can't say I've had disastrous Christmases or anything like that, I'm glad to say. I think sometimes what can happen, and it happened in our case once, uh, where things can be revealed and said at the Christmas dinner table mm. that are unexpected and shocking and perhaps not what people want to hear. Yeah. Those kind of rows are what are very difficult Yes, I think. And and how do you deal with that? I'm not quite sure because I thought that only happened in dramas on BBC No, too. I think it happens in real life. Okay. But maybe it was just my family that one Christmas. <laughs> maybe you're right. But first of all, how do you... I, d- I really don't know how you deal with it. I suppose an embarrassed silence probably is about the only way to do it and, and make sure to include it in your novel or your <laughs> biography or something. But, Everything's um, copy for <laughs> 
Um, so if people were to ask you, I, I want a really calm Christmas, I want to get those moments to pause and to, to stop, put the tea towel down, put whatever down. Because the other thing about Christmas is it's a, it is a feminist issue. And often women are the people who end up yeah. doing most of the work. Um, I don't know, in your experience, Porg, are you more hands-on when it comes to Christmas? I'm not. I'm not. When it comes to doing the Christmas Day cooking, I'm not wouldn't be a great idea. I did do all the dinners for the kids when, when they were at school because my wife was working. I sensibly got a job outside the house as soon as I uh, began working in, in the house. But, <laughs> what was she um, trying to tell you, Paul? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it took me ages to realise she might be trying to tell me something. But, um, and I still feel bad about all the dinners I inflicted on the, on the kids. I mean, the two of them, they dutifully came home and ate it. Um, and one was a vegetarian uh, and she and so when I think about what I inflicted on her <laughs> but anyway I did and they survived but um, in terms of of doing stuff of doing other stuff yeah I think I'm okay I think I'm I think I'm good at that but I, I do think maybe it's about the um, the emotional side the emotional work you know who gets in touch with people and even who who brings the kids places and who collects them from places when, if there's kids involved. Um, that might be an area where, where men could be more involved, perhaps. What about in your experience? Do you feel you could have been more involved or could be? I probably could have been more involved in that. I mean, I was fairly well involved in things, so I'm still fairly well involved in things. So um, it's very hard to, to go back to deep. I would have to ask my wife, actually, for the answer to that question. I'll have to have her on next <laughs> yes, Christmas yes. and find out. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely is. I mean, I have Carol Hunt writing a piece for me that was in the paper and she's talking about how just all that stuff about having to really, and it takes a lot of mental work, you know, what do the kids want? How is it, you know, what does your Auntie Mary want? What's um, your the in-laws and all those kind of things. They take such a lot of juggling and thought that is not seen. It's kind of very hard to measure, but it doesn't mean you can't. Yeah. I think that men, including me, tend to assume that women are much better at knowing that. You know, you see, is that just a cop out, though? I think women are better at knowing it. Now, maybe they just have more practice. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's because the expectation it. is on them, though, as well. Like if you're if you're socialised into that's your job, because I think I think yeah. it's really what I find fascinating uh, at the moment is that we've come such a long way in terms of various things. Like you know, the pay gap is narrowing. Thank goodness it, it's still there. But you know, in terms of uh, women working and their expectations around work. But in the home, I think we haven't moved very far at all. And I think we're still living up to things that maybe we've seen our mothers do or our grandmothers do or, or the things that we think are expected of us in the home, that those um, expectations aren't being challenged in the same way. No, they're not. Um, I, and I think that within the home, a lot of old, a lot of patterns kind of play out. Um, you would have to, to you would have to probably research a number of couples, all of whom grew up in very dysfunctional families where there were no traditional patterns and see how that works out then with them. Uh, that would be a hard bit of research to put together. But I think that, um, yeah, there are assumptions that we make. And of course, both both parties make the assumptions. I mean, I do feel that women probably do feel that they are better at knowing the answer to these kinds of questions that have to do with emotions, the emotional work, I suppose, and relationships and what somebody might want and so on. Um, but maybe that's because they are left 
to do it. And maybe, maybe some women are, yeah. but maybe some women, the if there was a male partner, the, he would be better. I think it's the, it's the exactly what you said, the assumption. Because, I mean, it'd be very unusual to think that, all, you know, if you'd have a hundred women, that they're all going to be better at it. Yes. Maybe yes. some are just, their head is yeah. in another thing and maybe they're yeah. better at organising the who takes the bins out or, you yeah. know, but I think it's kind of, if you start from a place, there, I think we do start from a place where women are good at this and men are good at that in the home. Whereas we're less uh, doing that outside the home, which is brilliant, but we're yeah. still doing it inside. And I think, I don't know, we have to try and challenge that somehow. Yeah. And the, the um, I mean, a way, an, exp- an, exper- an experiment one could run in the home, the challenge would be to say, like for, for you know, for this period, this Christmas or for, the new year for whatever, um, you make all these emotions. And see what I'm happens. I'm not going to make them and see what happens. Yeah, you know? and I think for women, some um, women, it'll be hard to let go of that stuff in a way. Oh, good, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, of course it would be, yeah. But um, that's the only way you could do it, would be to actually just hand over all of that. And it's interesting because the whole thing of what's the kind of socially appropriate thing to do, what's the emotionally right thing to do, it's scary stuff. You know, and high risk stuff in a way because you could, yeah. you know, you could. I just my big example is always my uh, boyfriend giving a former partner a tie buster for Christmas, yeah. <laughs> which. <laughs> and then when she protested and got really upset, the answer was, "But you're always going on about your ties being really big." <laughs> I mean, sorry, I know I shouldn't keep mentioning that, but I just find it hilarious. <laughs> so you see, that, that's a very high-risk strategy in some cases, giving it over to the man if that's the kind of thing they're going to come uh, up yeah, with. Yeah, well, this is, this is the thing. Uh, yeah, or where, where the woman says, I don't want anything for Christmas. Uh, do yeah. not take, do not believe her. <laughs> this, is, this is a trap. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, Christmas is almost upon us. So, Porg, um, the main reason I wanted you in here was to sort of, Give us a sense of how in those moments um, when things are being feeling overwhelming and if we got five minutes just to go into a, maybe a darkened room <laughs> or some kind of room where we can have a little, you know, you're, you're, you're an expert in mindfulness. So give us how we can have a more mindful Christmas and a little exercise that might help with that. OK, if you're already stressed, there's two sources of stress. There's the outside stuff that you maybe can't do anything much about. And then there's what's going on in your head that you can do something about. And from a mindfulness point of view, what you try to do with it is to just step back from it. Um, Step back from the stories in your head about what will happen if, what will I do if, what if this doesn't happen, blah, blah, blah. Or even thinking of Christmas's past, all this kind of thing. So it's stepping outside of that into the moment, even if the moment isn't a very exciting moment, um, even if it's a boring moment, whatever. So you step out. And you do that stepping out in, in kind of specific ways. Um, if you wanted to do a sequence, you could notice your breathing and your mind will keep drifting. So you just bring it back, right? So back to your breathing, say, in your nose. And then you would go on to noticing your posture. And it doesn't matter at all whether it's a good posture or a bad posture. It's noticing it. That is what we're interested in. Maybe noticing the feeling of your feet, perhaps. And then you might try to notice sounds. But see if you can notice them without judging them, you know. Oh, it's terrible that they're making all that noise on Christmas Eve, you know. Um, Just see if you can notice them just for this exercise without judging them. Um, And then maybe back to your breathing again. So you're noticing essentially what your senses are bringing you. It can be something else. It doesn't have to be those. Um, What I was mentioning, sounds. It could be, say, if you're walking, just noticing the sensation of walking. 
just that. Um, noticing, a, say, a scent in a, in a room, say a scent, maybe one of those Christmassy scents or something. But all the time you're bringing yourself from the world inside your head to the world outside your head. That's the essential shift that you're making. You have to do that again and again. What that does is it, it, it interrupts the um, going over and over thoughts over and over again, especially uh, thoughts that are painful or stressful, like um, uh, which is called rumination, if you're going over stressful thoughts. It stops those thoughts. You just let them be. You move aside from them into whatever is going on outside, outside your head. Stressful thoughts get the adrenaline running and they get the cortisol running, they get your blood pressure up, they have an immediate physical effect. But stressful thoughts can be a memory about something stressful in the past. So be careful about what you're mulling over from the past. Or it can be, say, an exaggerated fear of the the future. And sometimes you can also just ask yourself questions, something like, what do I fear will happen tomorrow, say, and then what do I hope will happen? And then what do I expect will happen? And very often, when you ask what do I expect will happen, you realise, well, probably it's going to be okay, you know? It'll be halfway in between the two or it'll be... But it really reduces the level of stress straight away. And the other, um, as regards this concept of a perfect Christmas that we were talking about, was just accepting that, you know, a certain number of things are going to go wrong and just accept them. Because mostly they'll be forgotten about in a week's time. Probably a day's time. Probably less. So just the acceptance part, which is the other half of mindfulness, is really very important to do. And you have a good Christmassy exercise with a snow globe, which many of us have in our homes at this time of year. where We get them out from the attic and they're around. Tell us what we can do with a snow globe that can inform our mood. Well, it's very simple. You just get a snow, snow globe um, and you shake it up and you put it down and you sit there and you watch the snow settling. And you keep bringing your attention onto that. And every now and then, we all have a bit of a drama queen in our mind. These drama queens may be male or female. So when the drama queen then wants to start banging on about something when you're watching the snow globe, you just tell it, go away. I'm busy here. And watch the snow settling. That's an easy way to look at it. It's a really easy way to to look at it. And just finally, Porg, mindfulness, this mindfulness business, um, you've been banging on about it for quite a while now. How long? Oh, my God. For, well, I've been banging on about it for about 10 years and I've been practicing it for, for about, oh, God, what is it, 20 years, 30 years? So what's the difference between, say, when you would have first been set, talking about this to people to now? How, how, how has our concept of it changed? Do you think it's gone, has it gone fully mainstream now? I think it's gone fully mainstream. Um, I think it was, when I started doing it, it was a thing that was done by sort of fairly odd sort of people, including myself. It involved long meditations, now it tends to be a more um, on-the-go kind of kind of thing, that, like the sort of exercise that we mentioned here. And it's very mainstream, yeah. In fact, people like me who were practicing mindfulness back in the day are continually amazed to look around at, at how popular it is now. Um, and it is Christmas, so we're going to let you give a little plug for your latest book. Tell us all about it. My latest book is called Daily Calm. <laughs> and... Um, uh, Daily Calm is basically 100 mindfulness sort of thoughts for the day, if you like. But each one has an exercise attached to it as well. And you can sort of open it at random. You can read it, the one for today. And then there's there's uh, the number of another one, a random other one that you can go on to if you want to, to continue it on. But it's like a thought for the day. 
I do a mind. I do a, a daily um, newsletter called the Daily Bell, which, which, which is that, which has a, a lot, a lot of subscribers now. I just started as an experiment. Fifteen thousand or something. Fifteen thousand, yeah. And I just started actually one Christmas. Funny enough, I must have been bored, and I said, "Oh God, you know, maybe I'll try this thing out for a few days and see what happens." But now it's it's it's, it's it really took off, and um, so it's based on that. So you just open it at random, really. It's probably not something you would read um, from cover to cover, start to finish sort of book, but dipping in. And you find something, you just read it. And then you can go on to another random one if you like. So it's called Daily Calm. Okay, and would it make um, a good last-minute Christmas present? It would make a great last-minute Christmas present. It would be so much better than lots of the other last-minute Christmas presents that one might be tempted to buy. Well, on that note, um, I can I wish you a very calm Christmas, <laughs> Thank you very much, And thank Roshi. you for helping our listeners uh, have a, maybe a bit more of a calm Christmas themselves. And Thanks. we'll probably see you next year. And Happy New Year. I can't believe it's going to be 2020. It is, yeah. A long, long, long time ago, when 2020 was far in the future, I used to wonder, will I be alive when it's 2020? And it, I probably will be, it would appear. And, in fact, and now it's when, when I hear things forecast for 2040, I say to myself, I wish they wouldn't do that. You know, just just forget about 2040. I think the, your main message is, I think we only have this moment, don't we, Pork? Oh, so we let's, only let's have this, that's there. for sure. <laughs> that's uh, for sure. Happy Christmas to you. Thank you very much, Russia. That's it for today. Thanks to our guest, Porik Moron. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening and breathe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 